If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like or do or think about or talk about, just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to U.S. Women's National Team and FC Kansas City star Becky Sauerbrunn about her passion for science fiction and fantasy and why she has a love-hate relationship with her favorite all-time book, Ender's Game. And with White Iverson finally meeting the real Iverson, at some point in this show, I'm going to force a conversation about this just so we have an excuse to play the CD by Allen Iverson, a.k.a. Jules. Joe, hit me right now with some Jules. Game changed for one name. Jules ain't slain anything on this plane. Remains are found when the best kept secret can hit it. You went platinum with a ghostwriter, so in the game you won, you cheated. My slang bag you need it. Did he do it, guys? Did he play it? Oh, yeah, that was some hot jewels, baby. <laughs> uh, Joe's not here. By the way, uh, I'm your co host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, and joining me. From both Chicago and New York, on one line, we've got our all-star sports PR representative, a man who needs no introduction but is getting one anyway, Adam Millard. Adam, what did you do on Memorial Day weekend? It's We're taping this right after Memorial Day weekend, I should say. Uh, let's see. So I, I went to the flotation tank, so my girlfriend was in town. Uh, we went to the flotation tank. Uh, that was her first time doing it, and... Whenever you do it for the first time, the feeling of claustrophobia kicks in a little bit. So that was an interesting experience. We then had sushi. And then Saturday, we went to see Aladdin the Musical. She's a big Disney fan, oh, but I have to say. Yeah. I, yeah, I have to say I enjoyed it as well. It was um, not that I've seen a ton of musicals, but as far as musicals go, it was one of the best I've seen. I love uh, Aladdin. By the way, I've never seen Beauty and the Beast from that era of Disney films. Uh, Lion King's good. Aladdin is my jam. That movie is great. I will take my kids to see that musical. How was it, Adam? Uh, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, it was great. Did they do flying carpets and shit? They did do a they did do a flying carpet. It was not the most realistic flying carpet, but I was impressed <laughs> by the actor's ability to stay on it because it certainly was moving around the stage. Hot damn! <laughs> by the way, also with us, as you know, our Broadway critic extraordinaire and multiple time sports Emmy winning producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, real quick, what is your favorite all time Disney cartoon? Well, first of all, Brad, I would like to point out I'm not a Broadway critic because I said, and I quote, flying carpets and shit, which I don't think (laughs) Hilton Owls is exactly using that in his New Yorker criticisms, number one. 
Yeah, Pauline, uh, Pauline Kale made a career on talking about flying carpets and shit, doing movie reviews back there in the you day, go. too, dude. You're good. Uh, my favorite all-time Disney cartoon. Uh, I, I would probably say Aladdin, just because that's what's on my mind right now, and, it, and I'm not counting the Pixar movies. I do remember the first movie I ever hated. Because like when you're a kid, just seeing a movie is awesome. The first movie I ever hated was Fantasia. And it was re-released in theaters, and my mom said I could go with a friend, and we went, and I got about 15 minutes into it, and I was like, this fucking sucks. Why? So, you, why? <laughs> why Fantasia? Well, I think my mom had thought it was like, I understand the importance of Fantasia now, like, no one had ever done anything like this, but like, that movie is pretty much a classical music concert with art on top of it. And for like a 10-year-old kid... I was like, what? Where are the G.I. Joes, man? What's happening here? I'm not feeling this. So I just remember that being the first movie I hated. I think we should all. Adam, get what's to- your favorite Disney cartoon? Wait, I think we should all get together and get drunk and rewatch it again. I just feel that's a different experience. Um, well, I'll get high and I'll probably love it this time. Altered. So there you go. So. Uh, Adam, time, what's your favorite Disney cartoon? I got to go with Lion King. No, Sylvania. Yeah, no, what are these no explanation other than it's just a really well done movie, and uh, James Earl Jones is in it. So, as someone once described me as a young James Earl Jones, um, I'm gonna go with Lion King. Yeah, guys, I'm gonna go in a way different direction per huge. Uh, mine would be a tie between the Robin Hood with the the the, the characters were like foxes. I thought that was awesome growing up. Oh my god, my kid like is obsessed with that movie right now. My five year old is obsessed with that. So your timing is perfect. And then the other one is the least popular Disney movie ever, like Black Cauldron. Like, give me some love for Black Cauldron. I don't even know what you're uh, talking about. When you said least popular ever, I thought you were going to go Song of the South. And I was like, this is going to take a weird turn here. No, I oddly find myself aligning with a lot of the politics uh, underlying Song of the South. But, I, you know, I just didn't think the animation was their, their best. Right, right. Um, You're preparing for that so, re-release. So as, as someone with no regular exposure to Disney, you two as parents, how much Disney is going on in your household? Very little. Very little. It's lame, man. The problem with Disney is my kid's four, so she doesn't she's not old enough for the, the Pixar stuff yet. And the Disney old school Disney cartoons are not really her her thing. So like I she got into Pinocchio briefly, but she she she's more into like, you know, Ben and Holly. She got really into My Little Pony recently. And by the way, the reboot of My Little Pony, solid. Like I'm way better than I was expecting. And by the way, kids entertainment is a whole other level of like, as a parent, like you have to absorb so much of it. It's almost like you took an internship over the summer, like as an accountant for a radio station. And you just are like, I'm now hearing all this music all the time. And I didn't really want it, but I'm, I have opinions on it. And like stuff like My Little Pony, which I remembered as being so treacly and lame, now it's got like an edge and it looks great. Good for them. Whoa, what do you mean an edge? How much edge could My Little Pony have? I mean, look, mo- look, ever since the Trump organization bought the rights, it's had a lot more bite to it, like, for, you know, politically. Well played. Well played. 
And it's actually just called Trump's Little Pony. <laughs> it's not yours anymore. The hair is a dead ringer, dude. <laughs> actually, that's a good that's a good joke, Garrett. That's a good joke. All right. Well, look, we can we can debate anything we want in a minute because right now we're gonna take the open of the show and make it wide open. Anything tangentially related to sports or not is on the table. Boys, do you mind if I go first? Go ahead. I want you to. And I'm not going to do My Little Pony. I promise. I want to talk about the day that White Iverson met Real Iverson. Or as I call it, the most important day in race relations. Since LL Cool J and that one country singer sang Accidental Racist. Yeah, since LL Cool J and that... And that white dude from Hung survived Deep Blue Sea together. This is the most important thing that's ever happened <laughs> to race relations in America. Well, guys, I don't think you realize that Nelly and Florida Georgia Line are traveling, are touring together right now, which could be, I mean, in this divisive era that we live in, to bring those two powerhouses together, it could change everything. Do they call that tour sweat, suit, cowboy, boots? Oh, very nice. No, it's some other bullshit name, but I like yours better. <laughs> First of all, Gareth, a- as, br- as, as nationally recognized branding experts, we applaud you for your instant marketing douche, douchebaggery. Good job there. Bro, Florida Georgia Line, the ultimate in music douchebaggery. Um, so Adam, very let me, appropriate let, title. Knowing your, knowing your feelings on Florida Georgia Line, is it fair to ask this? Is Nelly a more established country artist at this point? Because this is not his first <laughs> go round in this in this era or this area of music. Is he a more established country artist? No, only because Florida Georgia Lines Cruise is the number one selling uh, country single of all time, which I believe the remix features. Again, this is really hard. I think the remix does feature a verse from Nelly or Ludacris. I can't remember. Man, that's terrible. That's the most selling. That's like that's like someone saying the the highest selling rap song of all time is Snow's Informer. Yeah, it's it's really bad. It shows the state of music we're in. But as we've said before, Florida Georgia Line is rap music for people who are afraid of black people. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, speaking of rap music for people who are afraid of, bla- afraid of black people, let's talk about Post Malone, a.k.a. Well, no, that's his name. That's his, his rap name. His real name is Austin Richard Post. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a musical artist who has been a four-time platinum, you know, single, uh, the, you know, who, who has, has more than 300 million views on YouTube. And who has completely flown under my radar until this very moment. I had never even heard of the song White Iverson by Post Malone until I saw this week various uh, sports media pick up on this notion that he actually linked up with the real Allen Iverson. And together they were caught on camera sort of dancing and mugging to the song White Iverson. Didn't this song come out like two years ago? Yeah, yeah. It it, it, it literally has... 
yeah, yeah. million views on YouTube, and it was a four-time platinum signal. It, it, single. It was number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100, and somehow, like, completely escaped my worldview. To be fair, I did have a kid at the time, and I was moving. But come on. You think if someone's got White Iverson in the title, I'm going to find it, right? The fact that anything is four times platinum in this digital age, I think rap and country are the only two genres where people are still buying al- albums. That's that's incredible. I think that's accurate. Yeah, also, I want to say this about Post Malone. The guy looks like T.J. Miller dressing up like James Franco's character <laughs> in Spring Breakers for Halloween. <laughs> like, I just... I just could not get over the way he looked, and I, I'm just gotta I gotta let you know, bro. Like, it, metal teeth works if you're a Bond villain, not if you're just some dude dude from like East Philly. Just cut, get, spit those things out, and and brush your teeth. Well, we're we're a bunch of guys in our late 30s, but I I thought that grills had disappeared like 2007, 2008, but. Nope, they're still around. Um, yeah. Can, can I talk about the song for a second? Please. I, I, the, the chorus, like the video has Post Malone in the desert playing on a basketball court, holding a, like there's a lot of white theme. He's holding a white basketball. Uh, all the cars are white. He is white. I am also white as I recount this, and I probably recount these sorts of things as much to tell Brad that I did the work as to actually share it with you, our <laughs> listeners. Thank you. Thank but you. I was literally, I, I just, I, not literally, I was, I was just blown away when I got to the chorus because the chorus is, and Joe, you can hit us with this, but those lyrics are, White Iverson, when I started balling, I was young. You gonna think about me when I'm gone. I need that money like the ring I never won. I won. I mean, th- that. how is that not a shot at Allen Iverson? Oh, dude, there's Maybe several shots at Iverson in this. Go ahead, Brad. No, th- there are several. Like, there's literally a moment where he's like, that's my shot, that's my shot, that's my shot, implying Iverson is not going to pass to teammates. He talks about, I have it, I never pass it. <laughs> like, <laughs> the whole thing is about Iverson as, as I think, misunderstood, never quite getting to the top solo artist, which I think makes the song fascinating if it's written in that context, but makes mm-hmm. the song completely bizarre and weird if it's written as some white dude who thinks he's writing an ode to Allen Iverson but got the whole fucking thing wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. maybe he, I I interpreted it as him relating to Iverson's struggle. Um particularly the line about the uh needing money, never got that ring, the pain that he lives with. Ironically, his name being Post Malone another uh, NBA superstar who never got that ring. I'm not sure how his money is doing, but um, yeah, interesting topic overall. But then again, we're talking about modern rap where the subject matter seems less important than, um, than the beat it's playing over. 
The number one comment on the YouTube page for the song says, for the longest time I thought he was saying, why I have a son, until I realized he was saying the song's name. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! (laughs) That's so great. So what do you guys... So great, man. What do you think of the Instagram picture? All right, okay. Let me break this down for our our listeners, since, since we are on an audio medium here. He meets the real Allen Iverson. Like I said, picture picture Ehrlich Bachman from <laughs> from Silicon Valley dressed up like Franco's character in Spring Breakers. He's standing next to the real Allen Iverson. Adam, Iverson wearing the Packers hat. You he think? is. He's a G. Of course he is. That's oh, a- <laughs> I never even thought of that. You know what? You know what, Adam? Another, another example of... Um, black america co-opting white symbols (laughs) white culture (laughs) all right so he's standing audience if this is your first time with our podcast we're we're like the most progressive show in sports lay off the tweet storms um yeah he please stop all the tweet storms guys it's really getting overwhelming (laughs) so so he's He's literally just standing next to Iverson. And I got the impression that it's a little bit like if I grabbed my wife and was like, hey, mom, film her listening to our podcast. And I played the podcast. She would know she's being filmed. So she's trying to like be like, yeah, this is cool. But you clearly get the impression Iverson just wants to bail as soon as possible. (laughs) Yeah, he looks really uneasy. Really uneasy. Uh, yeah, it was much like Sarah Spain uh, stalking Louis C.K. at the Peabody <laughs> Awards. Uh, Hashtag pic- Sarah Spain. She was stalking him. <laughs> the The picture happened, but uh, it was a little bit forceful. <laughs> Are, the essential question here, before we wrap up, because I don't want to occupy all of our time with this. The essential question is this. Who is the better rapper? Iverson, a.k.a. Jules. Joe, hit me with more Jules. Everybody stay fly, get money, kill and fuck bitches. I'm hitting anything in plain view for my riches. Ugh, I can't get enough Jules. Or Iverson or Post Malone. Who's the better rapper? Gareth, go. Uh, I actually liked the Post Malone song. I had no problem with it whatsoever. I would have contributed to it being a number 14 Billboard hit. Maybe I could have nudged it up to 13. I Post Malone. But the, the, the photo is <sighs> sad. Adam, better rapper, Jules or Post Malone? Uh, Post Malone, I agree. As far as modern rap goes, it was about as good as it can get. It had that kind of uh, future-esque. I don't mean future, futurist, but like fu- it sounded like it sounded a little bit like future. Uh, good beat, good vibe, and um, I, I don't know. Iverson was an average rapper at best. I know, I know that hurts you, Brad, but. That's that's what I think. Yeah, guys, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go the other way on this and say Jules <laughs> is a top five all time rapper in no particular order. No next one. to next to Dana Barros, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, what, what Jules, 
who else? Uh, Sabalos and uh, I don't know. Uh, Dana Barros. Chris Webber. Dana Barros. Dana Barros is number one. We've talked about this. Even Dana Barros. By the way, Dana Barros, please return our emails to come on the show. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what could you possibly be doing, Dana Barros? You don't have okay. thirty minutes to talk about your rap career. Let's let me rephrase. What are you possibly doing that you don't have two hours to talk about your rap career? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go next. I, I'm going next because I have. I want to talk about something Boston related. I want to talk about something music video related, and I want to talk about something PR related. So if I can't talk about that on this show, I don't know how it's gonna, where I could talk about it. I want to talk about Gronk. Um, can we have a lot less Gronk in our life? Like, I know that this show was set up to honor what athletes do off the field and appreciate that they have a full, well-rounded view of the world and can contribute in more ways than on the field. That said, this summer, Rob Gronkowski has been in two movies including one called You Can't Have It, where he's advertised as one of the stars, and I think he has one line in the film. I have watched the trailer. It is... I... As the guy who's famous for not doing his homework on this show, that is some of the longest two minutes and 22 seconds I have spent in my life. That movie looks (laughs) like trash. Seriously. Like, I would not recommend you watch it. Like, I did it for the show. Spend your life doing something better. Then this past week, he had a music video come out, and I'm going to read this opening line from For the Win over at USA Today. Rob Gronkowski and WWE superstar Mojo Rawley star in a new music video from 3 Lau or 3 LAU, whatever, we are old, that, to be honest, is not as good as the music video Marshawn Lynch did with Train earlier this month and that we broke down on this show. I bring all this up to say, guys, we can glorify and elevate off-field distractions. And at the same time, where is Gronk's PR team? This guy is the most overexposed athlete on the planet, and he's giving me a one-person lesson in more is not always more. Dude, just disappear for a little while. I got too much Gronk in my life. I'm not interested in your newest... Instagram posts, music video, movie, Nickelodeon thing, book, bus tour, party, book. whatever. Book? Like, Wait, I'm he, sorry. Did you say Gronk and book in the same sentence? Yeah, he wrote a book and he said he didn't read it and everybody laughed. Like, we get it. I love you. You're good. But just, I need a little less Gronk in my life. Someone managed this guy's career. It's out of control. Let me, let me ask Rant you over. this. Hold on, a quick question. Do you think, it was just a bit of a leading question, is this Gronk, who's just a social guy, who just agrees to do everything, or do you think that there is some kind of strategy here and that there's some kind of end game? I mean, the guy's been injured a lot. He's, is he looking to set up a post-career? Like, what? what is the motivation for doing all of this? I think it started as the former, and this was a guy a few years ago who's like, I'm famous, I can do whatever I want. And I also think he's antsy, and he likes to do stuff. I, I agree with that. At, 
a certain point over the last few years, I think that he and his team, i.e. his brothers and his dad, got savvy to the fact that he's a national celebrity and they could do a lot with that. But I think their strategy has become to leverage his brand, we will say yes to anything. And he is in danger of becoming Krusty the Clown, where it is basically, I heartily endorse <laughs> this product and or event. <laughs> so just say no to some stuff, man. Like, I'll invite you on the pod. Just say no to us if that's how you got to start. Like, just oh, start he will say no. turning that's, some things that's down. That's a safe one. He, he will say no to that. That's... <laughs> 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 All right, Gareth, here's two thoughts on this. Number one, we are going to Boston, and we're going to put together the first ever Rob Gronkowski Film Festival. We're going to play all these movies that he's <laughs> been in in a row, and everyone's going to get nice and toasty. Two, I, the reason he's doing all this is because his PR team is his dad and brothers, and they don't, <laughs> right. they don't know what they're doing. Like, so, you know, look, Gronk's a fun guy. I actually thought the video was pretty funny. I thought it was cool in that, if it knowingly did this, credit to it. I, I it exploited it. it, it uh, and exploit is not the right word. It um, it it sort of um, uh, gosh, uh, sorry. What what's the word when not exploit? when you uh, it objectified him as much as it objectified the women, which I think is mm. funny. I th- I thought it was like a very um, dare I say feminist critique on the role of Gronk as celebrity. Yet I, I, and that's where I think Gronk is at his strongest is when he's like playing all the angles at once as the lovable, lovable buffoon that you think is is smarter than he is, even if you're just projecting it. Uh, but I also think you know maybe don't do this in the same week that you're going to put out a movie where you're not really in it. You know, just like dude, work on the work on the cadence of your media ability. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It, that's his second movie of the year. He's been in two movies this year. American Violence is the other one. So. Yeah, but he hasn't even responded to the screenplay I keep emailing and leaving at the Starbucks by his house. <laughs> I like All right, this Adam, idea wide the, open. I like this idea of the film festival. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's w- done. Wide open. Speaking of bad PR, uh, I have to talk about Tiger Woods, and I don't want this to be a rambling. I, I, I know I tend to get on my soapbox about these topics, but it sound he was arrested for D, DUI over Memorial Day weekend. Um, certainly was under the influence, maybe not cooperative with the police officers, but alcohol was not involved. Uh, rather than drone on about it, just I want to ask you guys, does it change your opinion of his DUI when you know that he's on a uh, a bunch of pain meds rather than alcohol? I mean, still, you got to have some awareness that you shouldn't be behind the wheel. But does it make you think any differently about the, the crime he committed? No, uh, I will tell you why. Um, look, I've talked fairly frequently on this show about quitting drinking. And I think it is safe to say, and I can admit publicly, like I had a pretty severe alcohol problem over the years. And I knock on wood as I say this, I look, I drove at times when I shouldn't have. And I am fortunate that I never killed anyone, never killed myself, never ended up in jail. 
it's one of those crimes that when a lot of people over the age of basically 21 or even 16 at times, you kind of say to yourself, there before the grace of God, you know, like, I did it, I don't, I'll never do it again, and dodged a bullet. First of all, he's of an age, he should, number one, he should know better. Second of all, he's a billionaire. Uh, and if he isn't a billionaire, he's close enough. Bro, have a driver. Have a guy that won't spill the beans that you trust just waiting in your cool car out front. You can take all the, the Oxy, Percocet, alcohol, pot, heroin. I don't care. We'll deal with the drug part of it some other time. But have a driver. You can afford one. If I won the lottery, I would keep our Honda Fit and hire a driver immediately. It's my dream. When self-driving cars come along, I'm in day one. But hire a driver. Don't be behind the wheel fucked up. Like, we're all old enough to do it. I don't care what you do. I don't care what drugs you take. Just don't drive. That's it. So, there's... All right, Adam... I agree with everything Gareth said, but I'm going to answer honestly. Like it did change my opinion about it, but yeah, only in too. this, only in this respect. If he was just popping pills because that's what he does to get wasted, I am com- still completely outraged. And I, for all the things Gareth said, I'm outraged that a guy who's got all the means in the world can't either order an Uber or like hire a driver. Yes, but. Agreed. It made me think, look, I've had surgery and been on pain pills. When, when my daughter was born this past year, uh, just from she, she wouldn't be put down. She's colicky. So we held her for months um, and I threw my back out and they gave me codeine or whatever they gave me. And and it, it adver- like, I don't do good with pills. I've never taken pills uh, recreationally or I barely take them for pain when I've had surgery I've just dropped off the pain after uh, after two days or something because it just makes me sick so I took these pain pills and like they I was like I could barely walk and I think if he had some sort of strange reaction to medicine that is a potentially different situation for me in terms of okay I, I would at least have that conversation the other things though don't add up he's at his own restaurant it's three in the morning it's like you know, drowsiness and pills should not be messed with. Like, you know, a lot of things, you know, mach- machinery with pills should not be messed with. If he's on pain medication after I'm talking about being messed up, just trying to walk around my kitchen, not like drive my kids down the street. Sure. I just think uh, I, I I think he had to have he had to have been smarter about this. But if you're asking me, did it make me more willing to hear his side of the story? It did, and I'm not. I'm not justifying anything he did, but I was like, "Oh, I, I was in fact, I was shocked. I, I was literally shocked when I saw that." And then my first inclination was, "I wonder if like the Jupiter police were just lenient with him because he's Tiger Woods, you know? Like I, I, I didn't know what to believe." I think ten. I think maybe Tiger Woods ten, fifteen years ago they'd be lenient. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a different story these days with him and. I think I guess that's what I was wondering too. Yeah, he's he went from the most celebrated athlete um, in sports to persona non grata, and I, I either way, he shouldn't have been behind the wheel, uh, inebriated. But um, I, I, you do uh, as a black man who's been pulled over. Sometimes you wonder um, 
what the motivation was. I, I mean, I don't want to get into a bunch of speculation. He shouldn't have done it. I just thought it was, it, it, it was interesting to me and a bit surprising to me how different I felt when I heard that it wasn't alcohol. Like there's this idea, I guess, in my head that, oh, well, he wasn't out partying. He's just pain. He's just uh, managing his pain. Um, that said, Gareth, you're absolutely right. That guy should have a car car driver everywhere he goes. And the fact that he doesn't was a bit surprising to me. I, I want to comment quickly because I rarely watch ESPN in the morning and uh, rarely watch uh, First Take. But Stephen A. Smith, once again, went over the top um, calling. And this is where we get back to the idea of Gronk and marketing that Tiger Woods marketed himself as a very as a great person, as an upstanding guy. Then he cheated on his wife and now this and called him a complete phony. So I will say this. While I don't think that he should be been behind the wheel um, under the influence of any severe drug, he is a human being. And to call the guy a complete phony because he's had some personal missteps, I think overlooks all the good that he's done for charity, um, for the game of golf, uh, and for uh, minorities in, in sports where minorities are un, underrepresented. So uh, I know Stephen A. Smith does that to get a particular reaction, but I thought it was, once again, shameful journalism on the part of ESPN. And I don't mean to say that every program is, but they take such extreme stances and to villainize Tiger Woods um, and the way that he did, I thought was, was pretty awful. I, I wish we could play a clip of it. That said, I don't want to uh, bring any more attention to it than it's already received. So uh, that's my rant. Hey, before we move on, I want to say, um, I, I like, I don't know. Look, if I came on strong, it partly is because I'm, it's me projecting some of my own shit on this. But Adam, you brought no, up a good I, point about, uh, like, look at this on paper. This is a black man in a fancy car being pulled over in Florida with zero alcohol in his system. And from what I read, like he passed some field sobriety tests, like he did the the uh, Star Spangled Banner backwards or something like that. Um, look, it's an interesting case. At the same time, I think the the mugshot and 3 a.m. part of it are not helping. Wait, 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 wait. Because some of the some of the stuff was like they found him asleep at the wheel with his blinker on. Oh so yeah, I, yeah, I, and yeah. I think right. the, the Star Spangled Banner, the Star Spangled Banner stuff was they asked him to do the the they asked him to do the alphabet backwards, and he was like, "You want me to sing the Star Spangled Banner backwards?" I think he was completely uh, out of it when they found him. Okay, got it. All right, all right. Yeah, and they found him asleep, so that's not exactly. Driving while black. I also want to say that this is... real quick. We are not justifying pill abuse. Like, if he was out just popping pills to party, like, or snorting Adderall or something, I'd be like, I mean, screw him. Like, I, I, I don't think any of us are saying, oh, if he's high on pills, it's not being, it's not the same as being high on booze or coke. I, but I think I was just surprised to hear that his defense of he was not drinking may be legitimate and i wanted to know more and what's frustrating to me is i just don't you can't you can't even say pump the brakes and let's find the real story in two days anymore because by to adam's point by the morning after 
Stephen A. Smith has already spent all night crafting his like definitive take on it. Like it's just like no, well, no one's even see, no one's even heard from any of the police. I don't think they've even commented on it. Can't we just try to live in a world where we ignore Stephen A. Smith? Like Tiger Woods, for all his failings and all his success, is probably one of the most fascinating and nuanced figures in athletics in the last I don't know fifty years. 100 years like from being a child prodigy and on the tonight show his relationship to his father his wife all the women his downfall his success his very public goals i just like there why not i guess that's what we're trying to do with this show in some ways but just i guess this is my plea to listeners like let's just try to live in like I've been thinking a lot about that Simpsons episode where all the marketing stuff comes to life. It's a Halloween episode. And to make it all go away, the solution is like, just don't look. Just don't fucking... And Adam, I'm not calling you out or anything like that, but I'm just saying, like, let's move to a post-take society is, I guess, my plea. We could edit this out. I know this is important, but no, no. no look, I, look. I, we, I like we, it. I want us to move to a post-take society and a post-Malone society. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good wrap. Through the and generations that, we build. Hold on, just just to wrap this up, I really say all of that to say this, Tiger. We'd like you to come on and talk about your love of supplements, and, uh, and that, <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Adam, I have heard from Tiger's agent. He is he has declined our recent invite, which I sent the morning he had he announced he had back surgery. I, I I literally hit send and I got an email back like Tiger is not going to do this. He just had surgery, and I looked, I googled, and I'm like, oh my god, that broke like an hour later. <laughs> oh, oh wow! Oh well, you had the scoop. Oh, we need you could have broke. Yeah, that. I know, I know. All right, well, up next. We are going to talk to U.S. women's national soccer team player and FC Kansas City star Becky Sauerbrunn about her longtime passion for sci-fi. We get into it all. Legend of Zelda. We get into Ender's Game and some hardcore fiction. We get into Hunger Games, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Star Trek, Lost. Stick around. I think you'll really enjoy the interview. And after that, we will be back briefly with our distractions. Stick around. Okay, well, look, I mentioned it before. I'm a little bit of a of a geek when it comes to you know sci-fi, fantasy, genre, um, pop culture, and I just want to know like, what's the? Is there one particular piece of pop culture that you just would say you've nerded out more than anything else? I mean, like a good example, like uh, you know, growing up, I was a huge Star Wars guy. I've probably spent way too much time in my life, like examining expanded universe novels, things like that. Is there, is there an obsession or a particular, um, series that you think you had just sort of captured your imagination more than anything else? Yeah, I think I, I had two older brothers and they were really into Nintendo. And so I actually think I was introduced into like fantasy and sci-fi through Zelda. So, I've played almost like every iteration of that game that I possibly can. And to this day, I still play it on my Nintendo 3DS. And 
just the game itself is just so fun. It's just an, it's an epic adventure in this world of just pure fantasy, and I just can't get enough of it. Okay, first things first. What are the odds that I can get you during this interview to hum the Zelda theme? Oh, I would say you have a very poor chance of that happening. <laughs> but I appreciate I appreciate the effort. Well, I, like da 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 da. Ah, it's classic. <laughs> I actually kind of want to find um, the text message alert that sounds like you just found a secret within the Zelda dungeon. Oh. Um, I know it's out there. I know it's out there. That would be that. That is tremendous. I mean, the original Zelda was kind of its own animal, and ever since then, they've been trying to expand the worlds as and the gameplay as technology has gotten better. Do you actually prefer the original, or have you grown and allowed yourself to adapt and evolve with the series as it's found a new home on other gaming systems? You know, it's kind of funny because I'll play one version and I'll be like, "Okay, this is the version I like it the best. I don't want to change," and then I'll you know, try another one. And at first I would have like a hangover from the other one. I'm like, ah, it's too different. I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> and then the more I play, I get used to it. And I just love it and love it. And yeah, the original, I mean, you can't beat that, but then you go to something like um, Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask and you're just like, damn, that's pretty cool too. So I think the creator have they've done an amazing job kind of changing and making it fresh. Um, so I would say there's very few of the Zelda versions that I dislike. I will say a huge pet peeve about because I've seen I've seen you reference this before in other interviews and one of the things that really bothers me is when some writers talk about it they always say like oh and it's so surprising that you know she's into uh, Zelda or the Tomb Raider series and is actually pretty good. I find that to be such a sexist attitude and I'm not searching for points here but I think in the gaming industry in general we you know whether it's Gamergate or or whatever else we've seen a reactionary movement against um, women's role in the industry. Do you ever feel like uh, people are giving a little too much surprise to your interest in in not just gaming, but like you know, fantasy style games? And do you feel like there's a lot more room for us to get more open minded and progressive about who's actually playing these games and why they enjoy them? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's very much a, a genre prejudice with women, um, and yeah, it's it is. I'm kind of taken aback by the surprise of it because if you get into one of our locker rooms and you're just you'll hear us talk about you know stranger things or these shows and people are just so into it and I mean, I'll play video games with Tobin on the road all the time so it's just um I don't think people really ask those questions very often and so when they finally do I think they are taken aback by these interests that we have outside of, of soccer so I mean you mentioned stranger things I mean your your interest in sci-fi and fantasy runs deep What's one particular obsession of yours that you're currently spending a lot of time thinking about, talking about, watching, reading, whatever? Ooh, wow. Um, I would say The Lies of Lacklamora, which is a book that I'm reading. And it's one of those, I went to Paula's bookstore in Portland, and there's those placards that say, Hey, if you're waiting for the next Game of Thrones book to come out, uh, <laughs> read it. Like, that is a sure bet that I'm going to buy that book. <laughs> and so that's actually introduced me to a lot of uh, different sci-fi and fantasy novels that I've really enjoyed. And this is one of those. Um, and so it's just one of those kind of epic these worlds are created and you get so immersed in these characters because it's so well-written. And there's, you know, like the laws that we abide by don't, you know, exist in these worlds. And that's to me is what's so immersing that you just love so much about it. Cause it's, 
it's not something that you do with day to day. <laughs> are you a hard sci-fi person or you like it more accessible? Like I've never been into the hardest of the hardcore. I'm not someone that's going to sit down and read the forever war uh, as much as I might, you know, just you get something into get into something that's a little bit more of touching on science fiction uh, versus going full in. Where does where's the line that you draw in terms of your own kind of preferences and accessibility? Um, I would probably be one of those people that kind of dawdle on the line between hardcore and vanilla right. sci-fi. Like I can definitely get into some where it's just like I probably understand five words on the page because they're using all this like interstellar, you know, light speed travel jargon that I'm like, okay, I think I understand <laughs> what they're trying to say. Um, but yeah, I I feel like I can dis- suspend disbelief pretty well, so I can really get into some things that I think turn other people off. Let's talk about Ender's Game. Speaking of things that that people love and also things that turn them off, I was heartbroken when I I, I read an interview with you a couple years ago. You were you one of the people. Uh, many of us were very affected by the author's you know outspoken views against homosexuality. You know, uh, I don't need to to go all into it, but he's a problematic figure, and yet. That's a book that you described as your your all time favorite, and for someone who's a voracious reader, I imagine that's a you know that that's a a designation you don't throw around you know willy nilly. Um, mm-hmm. How have you been able to comp- compartmentalize your love of the subject matter and the story with the views of the person behind it? I've had a very difficult time compartmentalizing that. Um, when people ask me what my favorite novel is, I often hesitate to say that it is Ender's Game just because I was a little heartbroken when I, you know, read those interviews and heard the author's view on gay marriage and his opposition to it. And for him to have written a novel that's basically a series that's basically about embracing an alien species that's very mm-hmm. different from you, um, it just it didn't it's so incongruous to the person that he is. And so I'm, it was very hard for me to understand, like, how can you write a novel about tolerance and acceptance, but not be able to live that in your own life? And, you know, to this day, I still hesitate to say it because then I have to kind of go on and say, but I don't respect the author or the author's views on, you know, these social issues. Yeah, it's tough, right? And I think anytime with art, you know, it, I know that it, when it's out there, it, it's supposed to be, hey, it now belongs to the people. You know, the, the, the person who, who makes the painting doesn't get to decide how I view it. Um, but in our media age, when, you know, these, these folks can come out and just keep banging the drum or anytime, you know, especially when the movie was adapted and that became such a, a, a lightning rod again and everything gets dredged back up, it's, mm-hmm. it, it can become much harder to escape, right? I mean, just the pure noise of it and the way that media operates now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Media is just going to give you a platform, and if you want to use that platform, obviously, you have every right to do so. But yeah, it does affect the art and how people then see or support your art. So the most important question is, at one point you said you were going to have a cat, and you were going to name the cat Ender. Has that happened yet? You know what? I couldn't do it. And (laughs) I do do now have cats, Um, but they are also female, so Ender wouldn't exactly have worked out. but yeah, I mean, I am still open to the idea. My boyfriend would prefer to name them after soccer figures. <laughs> I'm kind of uh, trying to get away from that as well. So <laughs> uh, I guess we'll see. But 
I mean, it's such a such a great name, and I still love the novel so much. Um, so yeah, it's I'm I'm just completely conflicted about it. What What is it about the novel that makes it makes it number one? And again, I, I mentioned you're a voracious reader. I I believe I've seen things that say you bring like three to four books on every trip. I mean, you are you are tearing through the pages, my friend. So what is it about the story that resonated for you to elevate it so high on your all time list? I think it's when I came to it. I was in freshman year of college, and it was a class for Anthro that was called Fantasy and Social Values. And it's supposed to be an athlete class, you know, a big lecture. You know, the professor never asked uh, the students questions. <laughs> you know, you read the book, and you and you write a, a paper on it. And this was one of those books, and I just really took to it because, you know, Ender is a story about him being kind of thrown into this environment where he has to both work with and compete against these other students and somehow also stand out as an individual. And so, I mean, talk about being thrown into an environment like college or um, college sports, you know, like Mm -hmm. trying to find your place in this hierarchy um, while also trying to stand out, but also trying to be successful as a team. And so I just really took to that part of the story. So let me move to some other titles. Is Lost still your favorite TV show? You know, it's up there, but there has just been such a, like, a burst of amazing shows that it's uh-huh. really difficult. I mean, Game of Thrones, epic, um, Stranger Things, like I already mentioned, but also like Black Mirror, Westworld, yeah. you know, Orphan Black is really good. I mean, it's just, it's really tough to just say that Lost, but man, that was, that was a pretty dang good show. <laughs> All right. Did you ever get out on Lost? I got out on Lost after like season three, and I came back the year that they did the flash forwards instead of the flashback. Oh, and spoiler alert for our listeners, it's been off the air for like 10 years. Like, you need to go find it if you don't want us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, did you stick with it the entire time, or did you kind of tune in and out like some folks like myself? No, I, I did actually tune in and out. Um, when it started getting really confusing, whether they were in the past, present, or future, I was like, <laughs> okay, I think it's I think it's time to take a break. Um, but that at first, that the pilot episode is oh, yeah. probably one of the best pilot episodes of any show I've ever seen, and that just it just got me, and I was hooked from then. I got hooked when they did the the two episodes that I I thought that whole first season was a miracle of television, and mm-hmm. the, the the two that really got me were the one with uh, with um, Hugo and the numbers uh, just mm-hmm. totally hooked me. And then the whole thing with Locke and just finding out like he, he couldn't walk off the island. And all that like mystery and like what's going on. And I feel like as they kept pulling the thread of that story, it started to unravel a little too much for me. Like I was like, okay, now now it's like about these gods or I don't even know. I, I almost like – I wish I could just bottle that up when it was just a mystery. You had no idea what was going on because I found it very thrilling to just be in the complete uh, dark on mm-hmm. on everything. Yeah, but I I think you might be in the minority with that. I think I know. people want to know <laughs> – people want to know why things happen. And I agree with you. I think sometimes the mystery of it is just more fun than the actual the reason for it. Do you have a favorite episode of Black Mirror? Uh, I don't know the, the exact titles, um, but the one where they're cycling and they get units and then they use the units to then yeah. get on a singing show. I really like that one. 
Yeah, that was good. That was really good. I uh, that's another show that I I try to keep up with. We've got two two kids now, so I <laughs> I like my TV watching time has been way down. So there's like a few in the queue from last season that I still haven't seen yet. But that's another show that like. I, I like anthologies though. I kind of I think there's an art to doing like a really tight hour that tells a complete story. Is that how do do you feel the same way or do do you prefer like the like Game of Thrones style longer series? And not that you have to have a preference one or the other, but I you know I don't know. No, I actually really like both, and it's really just kind of the mood that I'm in. Am I in for kind of a mini movie? Because then Black Mirror is like perfect for that. Am I ready to just immerse myself and like spend a lot of time within a certain world with certain characters? And yeah, I'll do like the epic. But um, I think what Black Mirror does, the, the it's just so imaginative and so well thought out, and it really does make people think. And I think it's one of the best sci-fi shows that's out there because um, I think people can relate to it. It's not too far out that it kind of turns people off, um, but it does make you think about technology and how it affects society and affects individuals. So let's talk Game of Thrones for a sec. If I said to you, who are you rooting for to 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 win or to end up on top? Who would you mm-hmm. say? Um, I'm going to say Jon Snow. Okay. Um, but a part of me thinks that he's going to have an incestuous marriage with Daenerys. And so they're going to be a power couple and then they're just going to dominate. <laughs> so you are you are of the mindset that they are Related. Related. Yes, I am part of that. I agree with that theory. Now, how much have you, have you, how'd you discover that theory and how much online uh, chat room uh, reading are you doing on Game of Thrones here? Okay, so this, this is what I don't know if it happened, but my boyfriend also very interested. We've read all the books, watched all the episodes. He thinks he actually came up with that theory and didn't do any <laughs> online reading. And I'm like, you're quite smart if you figured that out. Um, so I first heard it from him, and then when we started like looking to see what other people thought, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, Liana Stark, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I don't know if I believe him, but he's a pretty smart dude, so I'm going to give him credit for it. <laughs> I, now, that shows one where, if you've read all the books, now the TV show has moved into a different direction. Mm-hmm. Are you? Are how are you? How has that changed your watching of the series? Not necessarily knowing all the beats that are coming. Oh, I'm stoked! I can't wait to see where the the show goes. And then, obviously, you've heard of like the conflict where um, George R. R. Martin is upset with the show, and he might write a novel that's completely different from where the show's going. So it's just kind of exciting. You're kind of like, oh, man, it could really do anything. And so I'm, I'm pumped for it to come out. I just saw a trailer, and it looks unbelievable. I got some bad news. I don't think Martin's ever going to finish that book. Why? Why do you think that? So he's just he's delayed and delayed and delayed so much that one has to wonder whether he just sort of doesn't have it. I know Deadspin, for example, has been – has been really critical on they don't believe he really has much progress and that they're wondering if the publishing house would ever come out and just get a ghostwriter to like finish it for him. Well, there's been years and years between different publishing of novels in the series. So I'm just hoping it's one of those kind of longer breaks. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I totally get it. Uh, Let me ask you this though. do you have any problems with the treatment of women on that show? That's been a pretty big story thread. I know my wife reached a point where she's like, I, I don't know if I can watch any more just like 
gratuitous sexual assaults on Game of Thrones. How how as a as a woman do you digest the sort of gritty realism that's projected onto the women characters in in the TV series? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a lot of those scenes are extremely gratuitous. Um and women in general on that show are very mistreated. Um but it's kind of shedding light onto things that obviously it's a different universe, but women have been mistreated for, you know, millennia. And so this is a show that kind of just shows it a little bit more openly Mm -hmm. um, with the rape and the killing and the slavery and the prostitution and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, some some of those scenes are extremely hard to watch. um, But I think if it's slapping people in the face and saying, like, hey, this should happen sometimes, um, I'm, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So as someone who reads a lot of the books and then I would imagine watches a lot of the movies for the the sci-fi fantasy that you're into, are you protective of the source material in the books? Like for Ender's Game, for example, were you nervous about the movie kind of spoiling your own vision of it? Or are you someone that just kind of embraces it and says, hey, whatever, it's an interpretation of it. Let's just let's just see what it's all about. I think I get nervous and that I don't want the movie, if it's done poorly, to turn people off from the actual novel. So that's when I get kind of nervous. Um, and I'll bring um, the movie adaption of um, The Golden Compass as an example. I think that trilogy uh, is unbelievable. I think it's one of the, the best written fantasy series that's been out. Um, and the movie, I think, turned people off from even attempting to try to read the novel. And I think that's just a crime. That's the His Dark Materials books, aren't right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that's also a good example of, you think about all, all the things that have come out in the post-Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings world that were book series that were being adapted, and I think everyone just figured, oh, these are all going to be gold and they're going to come out. I don't even think they made a second of the movies, right? No, they didn't. Yeah. Well, okay, so t- to wrap up here, I'm going to throw some titles at you. And if you if you've read and or watched them, just let us let our listeners know your thoughts. So, okay. Ready Player One. I believe you've read this. How much uh, did you like it, and how excited are you for the movie? I loved that book so 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 much. I would re- recommend it to anybody to read. And isn't Spielberg doing the movie? Spielberg is doing the movie. Yeah, so I'm I'm so excited about that. I have also read Armada by the author, um, and like that. A lot, just not as much as Ready Player One. I think Ready Player One has just literally combined everything that I love into book form. Well, as a gamer, you had to be really nostalgic, even though you're yeah. not you're not quite of the age that the author was. I mean, he, he, his tastes trend a little bit more toward early '80s, mm-hmm. but still, I have to imagine that when they're when they're when they're playing those old school games and all the pop culture references, if you if you if you know them, it was it was kind of a fun read. It was an amazing read. Uh, I did like Ready Player One. I, my friend, I have a friend who like hated it, and was really hard on it. And it, I'm having a hard time sort of recalibrating my brain with it to get rid of his feedback. But I, I have an open mind about the movie. Um, I just wonder. I, I just I wonder if they're gonna go back as far, or if they're gonna update it and have it be more like a '90s throwback as opposed to early '80s. Oh, that's interesting. I guess it'll be what uh, demographic they're trying to reach. For the right. Movie. I just think the early '80s stuff is not going to reach millenn. They won't. They won't know about it. Even like the '90s stuff might even be too, too far off. 
All right, so you were mentioned Hunger Games. Which one do you think is the best of the of the trilogy? I really like the second. I would do two, one, and then three was like a far three. Oh, okay. Yeah, first of all, I give you amazing credit for already having power ranked those titles in your head. I I, I love a good list and a good <laughs> opinion on it. So thank you, thank you for doing that. No problem. Okay, same thing with Harry Potter. Um, I'm a I'm a big Potter. First of all, which house would you be in if you were at at uh, at Hogwarts? You know, I obviously would love to say Gryffindor, but I'm probably a Ravenclaw. Oh, uh, so you're saying you're 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 brainier than the uh, than the the Gryffindor folks, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think so. As much as I I wish I could say I'm more brave, I think I'm probably more brainy. Yeah, but but Gryffindor were like the great athletes too, and Hermione, you know, she was in Gryffindor. I know, I know. I've got some. A boss of mine was told recently she'd be in Hufflepuff, and she said she almost cried. She was like, (laughs) "What? What a rip! Like, why would this guy say this to me?" I mean, what is what is Hufflepuff's like main characteristic? I don't even know, except for like filling out the, uh, the, the you're know, rounding out the, uh, uh, you know, the square there. I just, yeah. I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, Slytherin clearly are like the troublemakers. Ravenclaw was always the, the, the smarty pants. And I, I always kind of thought Hufflepuff was like the shit left over. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the, the nice ones. Right, right. Uh, like I don't know. Fine. Yeah, I don't know either. That's, I guess that could be kind of insulting. So which Harry Potter is your favorite? Oh, the Triwizard Tournament, but I mean, that's like kind of obvious. Me, I love that one too. I always think people to have a credible discussion with me about it. If, if you either need to say Azkaban or um, Goblet of Fire, because I think those are the the books where the, the the tone of the series changes for the better, and I think they're the movies that make that make that series so much more enduring. If it had all just looked like the first two Chris Columbus movies, I just don't think I would have oh. followed it up with it. Absolutely. I think the darker tone that it took on after the first two, um, yeah, just captured a lot more people. Uh, Okay, your preference, Brave New World or 1984? And yes, I'm going to make you choose. No, I can't say that I've read either. Oh, well, I recommend Brave New World. There's a great analysis that says if 1984 is all about the you know uh, a a tyrant uh, taking over through uh, force. Uh, Brave New World is all about uh, us sort of pleasuring ourselves into submission uh, ah. by just not having to do anything and and drugging ourselves up all the time. Uh, I I recommend Brave New World. It's it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard sci-fi, but it's one of my favorite books. Okay, well I will put that on my list. There you go. There you, you have to tweet at us if you get it done. Okay. Um, all right. So last stuff here. I think some people struggle with, uh, you know, hey, sci-fi just feels like it's not something that's easy to get into. So where would you say are some accessible titles that you would recommend, especially your young, younger fans? Um, where would you tell them to, to kind of dip a toe in to get a feel for, uh, for these genres? Well, I think, I think Star Wars would actually be a pretty good introduction just because they're obviously heavily sci-fi, but they're also like heartwarming. You know, you get really attached to the characters, and you kind of forget about some of the space stuff sometimes. So, have you um, finally watched these movies, by the way? Because you said I've seen other interviews with you where you're like, you're not really a Star Wars person. 
yeah, I think I shouldn't have said I'm not a Star Wars person. I should have said I'd never seen Star Wars. And then I was sat down and I literally watched every single one. And so. <laughs> what's so that even like? Fun. Like how long, first of all, how long ago was that? And second, like, what's that even like watching them now? Oh man. I mean, I thought originally, okay, so these are kind of older. It's not going to look very good. It's not going to look very realistic. And you just don't even, that doesn't even, you don't see that. You know, you just get so into the story and so into the characters. Um, and it took like 12 hours one day and 12 hours the next day. And then you better bet like <laughs> right when, when Rogue One came out and, you know, uh, Hope Awakens, that one, that I was there opening night, like popcorn, soda, I'm all in. Did you dress up as like Ray or Darth Vader or something? No, I didn't, but I'm tempted to. Um, I think Ray, baller, complete baller. I love that character. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now you watched the prequels. Then what? Did, what were your thoughts on? And first of all, did you start with the prequels or did you start with the like the original trilogy? I started with the original trilogy, okay, which yeah. I think yeah, which I think maybe was unfair to myself because then you try to watch the the more recent you know episodes and you're kind of like. The more recently made episodes, I should say, and you're just kind of like, oof, I don't, I don't know if uh, Hayden Christensen is, you know, my Darth Vader. I just don't. Oh, see he's it. terrible. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah, and I hate to criticize, you know, because obviously I couldn't do any better, but woof. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm glad. But by, by the way, how does a kid growing up playing Legend of Zelda and reading Ender's Game never watch Star Wars in like the '90s or 2000s? Like, what were you doing? I don't know. I'm going to say that's like my dad failed me in that respect. <laughs> I love that. I love, well, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you got it back. Well, look, I, you've given us a ton of time. It's been great talking to you. Your passion is, is clearly deep. Your knowledge is uh, unquestioned. What, I guess what, what's, ne what's next? What, what's like one thing that's coming out in the next year or two that you just can't wait for? Oh, wow. Um, I would say the movie for Ready Player One. I would yep. say the next season of Game of Thrones. Um, I'm still, I'm still going to hold out hope that the Game of Thrones novel comes out as well. Um, <laughs> but there's actually, like, there's stirrings that his Dark Materials, the author Philip Pullman, is going to be publishing um, other volumes. And if that is true and if that's to happen, um, that would literally probably make my lifetime. Uh, well, you, you might have saw. I might have to go read his dark materials uh, because you're giving it a pretty ringing endorsement here, and I could use I could use another good read. I I would highly recommend it. <laughs> well, thank you again. Uh, I know you guys. Uh, your season's off up and running. Best of luck this year, and uh, and we will be sure to uh, look for more. Hey, you got to give us some recommendations on Twitter. You know, like when you, okay. when you finish yeah. a book, like throw them out there. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> And we are back. Okay, in the sports world, we know that athletes and coaches and people around sports, they do cool stuff, and then they get shit for doing cool stuff because they're supposed to be watching film. Forget it. There's only so much film you can watch. We don't label those guys distractions. And on this show, we celebrate the things that, that distract us from work. So right now, we're going to tell you what is distracting us. Gareth, distract us, buddy. All right, so sadly, a couple very important writers died recently. Um, the first one for the uh, sports world that everyone saw was Frank DeFord. 
Uh, and Tim Layden, Sports Illustrated colleague of his, uh, Brad and I grew up talking about a lot of Sports Illustrated articles, and I read him for years growing up. Uh, Sports Illustrated came to my mailbox every Thursday, and I remember picking it up every t- every week. Um, so I read a lot of Frank DeFord. My favorite quote I saw of him after he died was given by Tim Layden. It goes back to something I talked about on the pod a couple weeks ago. Quote, Choose your friends in inverse proportion to their interest in the NFL draft. Frank DeFord, you were a genius, my friend. That is well chosen. Um, Another person died, uh, Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson is one of my favorite authors. Uh, He wrote journalism, memoirs, a lot of novels, Tree of Smoke won, the National Book Award a few years ago. His novel, Train Dreams, was nominated for a Pulitzer in 2012. He is best known for his collection of short stories, Jesus' Son, um, which was made into a movie in the late 90s. The movie's great. Stars Billy Crudup. It's a collection of interrelated short stories following a main character named Fuckhead, uh, who's hooked on heroin and then gets clean. Um through Idaho in the late 70s. It was very autobiographical. And there's a, there's a story in there called Work. And to end, I, for my distraction, I've been revisiting this, so I just wanted to read the last paragraph of Work by Dennis Johnson. The Vine had no jukebox, but a real stereo continually playing tunes of alcoholic self-pity and sentimental divorce. Nurse, I sobbed. She poured doubles like an angel, right up to the lip of a cocktail glass, no measuring. You have a lovely pitching arm. You had to go down on them like a hummingbird over a blossom. I saw her much later, not too many years ago, and when I smiled, she seemed to believe I was making advances. It was only that I remembered. I'll never forget you. Your husband will beat you with an extension cord, and the bus will pull away, leaving you standing there in tears. But you were my mother. And so that is the end of the Dennis Johnson story work. R.I.P. Dennis Johnson. Those are my distractions. R.I.P. Indeed. R.I.P. Indeed. He was uh, probably my favorite part of the 80s Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Adam. Adam, distract us. Uh, I'm going to go much more shallow. This will almost sound like a plug, but I, like a paid plug, but I promise you uh, nobody is paying me to endorse anything. Um, I would not consider myself an audiophile, but I do, uh, enjoy good sound. And so I have my power beats three. Um, one of the simple things and one of the things I have most difficulty with is, uh, is the tip, the earphone tips that, that always fail to fit in your ear perfectly. Um, so I just want to give a plug for a product that I found on Amazon.com called Comply Foam Premium Earphone Tips. I have oddly shaped inner ears, mainly from jabbing uh, a pen into my ear during client calls. Um, so, com- <laughs> so Comply Foam Premium Earphone Tips, very random, I know, but I'm actually wearing them now as we record this podcast. Uh, and they fit in your ear perfectly, stay on during exercise. So 
Uh, I bought probably three or four other uh, earphone tips before purchasing these, uh, but they fit well. So my my distraction for the week, not nearly as profound, but as someone who enjoys listening to music and podcasts uh, throughout the day, these are a small but valuable tour, tool, only 20 bucks on Amazon. All right, my distraction this weekend was yard work. I stained my deck, I mulched, I mowed, I pulled weeds. It was awful. And I got through it with some podcasts. Specifically, last podcast on the left, which I've mentioned a few times in the show. It's not for everybody. It's pretty sarcastic, pretty sardonic humor um, about conspiracies and weird stuff. Two episodes I would point to. The ones on uh, the second one on Son of Sam is really great about like calling BS on all his phony stories and how much he's he's vacillated over the years between oh the dog told me it was Satan and then also just like being a sociopath. The the other one and Adam I wanted to ask you about this really quick cuz I you know I don't want to run too long here but they did a whole episode about Chris Benoit, the wrestler who uh killed his family and then shot himself and they talked about this this growing conspiracy theory like culture online that everything from WWE killed him so that Triple H could take over to um, you know all sorts of other bizarre like uh, that a, 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 f- a jilted lover who he he stole the guy's wife end up being a Satanist and had him killed. I had no idea about those conspiracies. It actually, made me want to get maybe maybe get one of the guys on. Uh, to talk to us about just the nature of conspiracy theories around this, given, you know, I mean, WWE is is a is all about inventing story where there's no story, and it does it. it I don't find it too shocking that the fans would have you know kind of gone online and just started to create a much more rich and you know uh, elaborate case. Besides, dude probably just had uh, CTE and went crazy and killed his family. I'm interested in hearing those theories, but like, let's make sure we view it for what they are as conspiracy theories and, um, and not let it distract us from the fact that he probably went nuts because, uh, no matter what the WWE says, they don't take care of their wrestlers as much as they should. And, and, uh, and the wrestlers assume the risk, but then on top of that, uh, they, the WWE, men's health program or their health program uh, that is supposed to stop people from taking performance enhancing drugs. You take CTE and mix it with a lot of artificial testosterone and bad things are bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to leave it at that. Okay. That is our show for this week. Let's end with some shout outs. I'm gonna give a shout out to Becky Saubrun and all the folks over at FC Kansas city. Go check out their games. The season's underway. And Gareth, Adam, any shout-outs? Well, I'd just like to say shout-out to a few people. Uh, shout-out to my boy Uzi, who ironically has never picked up a gun. Uh, Def Jeff, not to be confused with Jazzy Jeff. Little Swanee, again, not to be confused with Big Swanee. Meech, uh, I got nothing there. Ron Mack. And last, but certainly not least, my other cousin, Ron. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay